forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I have a big zit right on my chin. Hey, I'm Gabe Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and I love water. You do? No, you don't. I don't love water, but I'm <laughs> drinking some out of this cup that I got from your bachelorette party. Oh, yay! It's so cute! Yeah, so I'm, I've been drinking more of it because I have this lovely cup. I'm very excited. Your wedding is coming up so soon. I know. It's less than a month away at the date of this recording. Ooh. Wow. This is the anniversary of me getting engaged in my broken engagement. Oh, today? <laughs> today. Yesterday oh. and today. Oh, yesterday? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. How are you feeling? Amazing. Isn't it weird how anniversaries just really throw you through a loop? They really do. It's funny, like my grandmother passed away, who I love, passed away when I was 14. So 20 years ago. And I'm still like December 8th. Mm -hmm. Like it's still like it's still like the day that like I know her birthday. It's like, yeah. I don't know when I that maybe in, in grief that never runs out, you know, I don't think it does. And I think it's also a way to honor the memory. Yeah. Do you like the candle the night before the yard site candle? Yeah. Yeah, we do. For those of you that don't know, Jewish people light something called a yard site candle on the anniversary of, of someone's death. I think it's a lovely tradition. It is. You know, what's funny is one time I was hanging out with a friend of mine who's not Jewish and I went to his house and he had so many yard site candles and he didn't realize <laughs> that that's what they were. He was just <laughs> buying them from the bodega. That's adorable. <laughs> I know. Anyway, this is Just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. Woo! We have an amazing episode coming up for you guys. We have Allison Libby on to talk about abortion, which I'm it's just like a really good and and informative and heartfelt and also light and fun mm -hmm. interview. I'm really excited to to have this topic on the show in like you know, this kind of manner. And later we're going to be talking about people pleasing and uh, what it actually is and if any of us do it. Oh, I hope no one thinks that I do. I'm Is that people pleasing? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so nice and everything. Oh, I don't know. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I can't even pretend. <laughs> but first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means? Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Eloise, the UK. Halfway through me singing that, I went, is this the song? Do I know what I'm doing? What? <laughs> sort of. <laughs> so, Eloise, she, her, writes, Hey, Allison, Gabe, and Melissa. Just wanted to start off by saying I'm a longtime listener and your podcast and your insight and familiar voices have helped me through some tough times. So some background information. I'm 22 now and have little to no experience with intimate relationships. I went to an all-girls school and basically didn't speak to a boy from the ages of 12 to 18. When I moved away from university at age 18, I had a short situationship with a guy which abruptly ended when COVID hit and we never saw each other again. 
Looking back, it wasn't that good of a thing anyway, but I was pretty sad since it was my first experience of anything of the sort. Since then, I've had no other intimate experiences, partly due to COVID and partly because I'm just not a very sexual person and one night stands have never appealed to me and nothing else has come my way. Flash forward to 2023 and I finished my degree in biology and moved back to my family home for a while. I've started talking to a guy over social media who lives about two hours away and he was recently in my area, so we met up for a walk. The date was nice and we had loads of similar interests and a lot to talk about. But the issue is that I have no idea how to flirt or initiate any kind of physical touch, even if I feel like I should. We hugged hello and goodbye, but that was the extent of it. I just feel like I might push potential partners away if I act too friendly and not intimate enough. Also, a big worry is that my inexperience will be unattractive and no one will stay with me once they realize it. So overall, if we meet up again, I want to be subtly flirty, but I don't know how. Like, how do people kiss on a date and make it feel natural? Any advice on the topic would be much appreciated. Best wishes, Eloise. Well, first of all, I mean, anyone that would be turned off by inexperience is not someone that you want to be with. So that's actually a God giving you a gift of like you're you have a, a particular like compatibility metric already built in. So that's not that they have to be at the same level as you, but that like if that's off putting to someone like great, don't you don't have to waste time. So don't worry about that. I think I mean, you know, obviously, I I get where it comes from. But I think that that is actually something that will weed people out. Now, it's hard because she's asking how to be subtly flirty. That is not your strong suit. No, it is not (laughs) at all. I throw spaghetti at the wall. Like I'm literally just like, I, I mean, well, Alex was a bit shy like Alex what isn't someone who's like immediately flirty isn't someone who's like immediate like we had hung out twice twice and I felt like if I didn't break the touch barrier on the third date I was gonna we was gonna be friend zone Mm. so I when we were on our third date I uh had us hold hands I just put we, we were at a comedy show and I just had us hold hands and so I think that doing something like that it's so brave it's so scary but that helped me to like be like establish that like this is a romantic interest do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean these are dates we're not just hanging out totally yeah I mean I I'm thinking through like if you're going on a walk with someone like that kind of vibe like I think that sometimes close proximity can indicate something so walking close to them talking to them and and like like when they say something funny touching their shoulder yes like I think that 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 is like a really great way to break the touch barrier is like tell them they have an eyelash and then go in front of them and the, okay, take well, their that's eyelash. a little much. But I <laughs> I think an arm touch, a, a, like a, a friendly slap of like, ha you're so silly. That yeah. stuff's all good. But the biggest takeaway I want you to have is that like it doesn't feel natural. Like I no. think that there's this expectation that like, oh, uh, first kisses aren't awkward and that people aren't like freaking out. Like, I mean, when John came over to my apartment for the first time after we had been virtually dating for a month, I wanted to throw up. Like I was like not having a good time. I was like, this is a literal nightmare for me. I am so nervous. I'm I feel like I am going to like hurl, you know, and so I think that like taking away the expectation that like it's going to be easy breezy or that like if it's not easy breezy, then you're doing something wrong. Right. Like I was I was someone who was 
always so nervous before a first kiss. Like we've talked about this. Like I don't enjoy a first kiss. I find it like overwhelming and and scary. And so it's a little bit about like the distress tolerance of it all. And just I think reframing it as like these first few interactions are probably going to be a little awkward. I'm probably going to be really nervous. But that doesn't mean that like once we get to actually being more comfortable around each other or used to being more physical with each other, that it will remain that way. Mm-hmm. But like you kind of got to push through it at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, I also like it just takes reps too. like you're just kind of I felt like I feel like I just like putting my reps in like it's just like natural and like getting used to sort of being having mixed reactions like a, a hard rejection or a soft rejection or someone who's like into you a little bit or someone who's into you a lot, like just these, all of these things are unknowns. So like for, for me, things are just easier because I've just filled in a bunch of unknowns. Again, things started over entirely once I transitioned. Now I'm like starting from zero where I'm like interacting with women as a guy or I'm interacting with men as a guy. And I'm like way more nervous now and way more like, like I, the fact that like I walk, like I walk around and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I like we're going to kiss. is like so new for me again because I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, what the what? Um, But you got to get your reps in. And like it's it's it sucks and it's really awkward and it's discomfort, like Allison said. But sometimes it's fun. OK, sometimes it's like the lead up can be fun. Like it's like you got to have a little s- spicy sexiness with it. Like. But I see, I think that it's fun for some people. That's the difference is I think some people like really love the lead up and love like, oh, is it going to happen? Is it not? And then maybe for some of us that like run a little more anxious, it can just kind of be like every time with every new person, a little anxiety producing. I mean, I don't know, because this person, they might, you know, they're so young, like who knows by 30, they might love a first kiss. But like, you know, at this point, not expecting that, like, if you get through that, that hurdle with one person that suddenly you'll know how to do it with the next. Like, I felt like every time I was completely resetting. And like, Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's ways to bre- to break through awkwardness by by either being like, sorry, like be or being like, I know th- first kisses are awkward or sometimes you can even just be like. I don't know, like not acknowledging the awkwardness in a self-deprecating way, because that sucks. But like just sort of being like, sorry, I'm nervous. That's cute. People like that. Yeah. Like, sorry, I'm nervous. Or and also I was thinking about for flirting to take it from like we're hanging out as friends to flirting, like compliments are really good. Mm. Like being like, you're so cute. Or like if someone says something like one, this one guy I'm talking to, like, I just he did something and I was just like, you're so cute. And then he was like, oh, you're cute. And then I was like, bam, you know what I mean? Like, I'm in. You have to <laughs> you have to give compliments. And I also think if if like you are going to be texting with them before hanging out in person, sometimes we can have a little more courage behind a screen. So like I'll, maybe amping up your flirting game via text ahead of time to sort of like let the other person know that like you're OK to cross that boundary into like it being more than friends yeah so like I'm so excited and nervous to see you like cute emoji or like I wonder if we'll kiss later or like yeah you know like sometimes like the texting can sort of like take the pressure away from the in-person moments and you can kind of like set the tone before the date even yes totally 
So hopefully that's helpful. If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Allison Livey. Stay tuned. Just between us, it's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting, Tough Questions. This week on the show, our guest is Allison Levy, the co-host of Crooked Media's podcast, Ruined. Her one-woman show, Oh God, a show about abortion, was called the best political comedy of 2021 by the New York Times. Hello, Allison. Hi, thank you for having me. I have to tell you that my mom and her best friend saw your show. Oh my God. Loved it. Like glowing reviews and then... And then like immediately called me up to tell me about it. And my mom was like, you should do this too. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the first mom who's ever been like, no, you go do something like this. That's um, that's so, so kind. I'm so, I'm 39 and I feel like our, but like, no matter how, I feel like our generation, like our parents are boomers usually. Like, oh yeah. And there have been so, because there is, you know, kind of a piece of the show that is for them. And I do think, like, when I talk about my mom and her story, and I think that, like, it has been, like, shockingly the kind of thing where, like, people's moms love it. And, like, that, (laughs) I don't think that most of it they would like, but, like, they do end up, like, loving it in the way that it's, like, really wonderful. And so many, like, mother-daughter duos came together to see it. It was just, like, kind of the best, the best part. (laughs) I told her you were coming on the show and she started fangirling. Oh, she that's was like, so And then sweet. today she was like, is it today? It was a double. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, tell her hi and thank you so much. I will. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I didn't see the show. So can you explain a little bit up top for our audience, like what sure. your comedy is like and then what this, what this show was? Yeah. So like I, I've been doing stand up for like, 12 or 13 years. I don't know. I like don't like to really acknowledge the amount of time I've been doing it because it really puts into perspective what year it is. But I like the kind of I do stand up and I like talk about my life and whatever. And I talk a lot about just kind of like the things I find frustrating moving through the world with like my own personal experiences. And I ended up four years ago now. It's so hard because in the show for so long, I was like three years ago, I had an, it's like a line. And then as I've done it, this year, I'm like, oh, I have to update that because it's like no longer right. accurate. So four years ago, I ended up getting pregnant and needing an abortion and did. Mm-hmm. And it was very simple. And for, this was my first abortion experience. And it was before, of course, we lost Roe and all of that. But it was what things were certainly, I mean, they weren't and they never have been good. But I kind of like went through that experience and I was like, wow, like, this is just a version of abortion that we never talk about. Like, it isn't really part of a lot of, like, when people talk about abortion, you know, in the news, it's usually kind of the only the trauma-based experiences. And when people talk about it in stand-up, it's all, like, theoretical or, like, abortion is this punchline that people want to use. And I was, like, I started writing jokes just about my experience. And I was, like, all of a sudden, I was, like, oh, I have, like, 15 minutes of just talking about the waiting room. I bet there's something here. And so I kind of set out to be, like, what if I did a whole hour about this experience and kind of everything that feeds into it um, and everything that I kind of reexamined in my own life and my own experiences after having done it? I ended up, like, writing this whole long show that kind of dives into sex ed and, like, the way that a lot of women are treated and medical experiences and how we're never believed. And 
how the pressures of, you know, motherhood, both biological and cultural, are so crushing for so many women. And then, like, telling my story, and it became kind of this thing that I think, like, if you're a mother, if you're not a mother, if you have no idea if you want to be a mother, if you've had an abortion, if you haven't had an abortion, if you're a man, if you're a woman, if you're non-binary, like, there is something kind of for everyone to connect to, like, not to be like, I did it. Um, but like, <laughs> but I think like I, I, it took me a really long time and with lots of other feedback to like get to a point where I felt like this is, of course, like my perspective and my story on having an abortion. But it was also kind of a much larger like look at, you know, what it's like to exist in our culture and um, specifically as a woman and specifically in the context of being or not wanting to be pregnant. And I did it all last summer at Cherry Lane here in New York, and I've been touring it a little bit and I've got some dates coming up and you know, TBD, kind of the future of this show. You know, it's it's we're certainly in a new era of reproductive politics uh, every single day. So, <laughs> the moving target of how you talk about abortion is a a tough one to nail down. I was going to say, have you had backlash? Like, have you attracted the wrong people about the show? I have been waiting every single day since I started doing the show <laughs> for like the day that finally the right finds the show and, like, <laughs> drags me. Because, like, I've been on Twitter since it came about. Like, I've been doxxed. I've had, like, millions of men in my mentions being like, fuck you, cunt. And it's like, oh, sorry, I said I like cereal better than pancakes or, like, whatever. <laughs> I mentioned Bodega and you all need to tell me what a dumb bitch I am. <laughs> but, like, I was, like, waiting for the day because I was like this and I included the word abortion in the title of the show from the beginning because I was like, I am not interested in, like, tricking anyone into being here. Like, if you are mm -hmm. not interested in seeing a, a show that addresses abortion, like, I don't want you here as much as you don't want to be here. So... Mm -hmm. And it never happened. I, I think, like, in the course of the show at its height last summer, which, of course, coincided with, you know, the the Dobbs ruling and the loss of abortion protections for many, many people, um, I was, like, I think I got, like, two requested DMs that were, like, you're a baby killer, like, from a, like, a, you know, a no-name bot or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like, it never really happened. The only time I got, like, a little bit was when I wrote an op-ed for the New York Times about doing the show. Laura Ingram posted it, but she didn't tag me and she didn't like repost me. So like they didn't find me. I just like read the comments and it was all like, this is the future liberals want. And I was like, it is <laughs> to be able to like comfortably talk about your medical experiences without shame. That actually is exactly what we want. <laughs> so it never happened. I'm still waiting one day. <laughs> That would be great publicity, honestly. I'm so, like, hardened to, like, the experience of online abuse or what that, like, I think, like, I'm in a place now where if it happened, it would only it would be fine and good. <laughs> or if they show up, they show up picketing outside Cherry Lane. People stop. They go, what are you picketing? They're like, this show about abortion. People are like, oh, fun. I'll go see it. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah, it would be an advertisement. There was, like, one woman came... At, when we were doing it at Cherry Lane, I was kind of like trying to hand out some pamphlets to the people in line who were already coming in. And yeah. we just had to be like, can you leave? And then the cops came and we're like, you have to stand over there. And she's like, okay. And then nothing happened. <laughs> oh my God. So my question is like, have you had to change or tailor the material based on the different rulings that have happened? No. And I think like, it's also what made me like kind of so edified and like why I did the show to begin with is like, the show is like, almost exclusively, like, my personal narrative and, like, my thoughts on some bigger picture things that, like, are not and cannot be legislated. So while the specifics around it have changed, like, the story itself and, like, the story I'm telling happens in the past anyway. So it is, like, I'm, like, it doesn't need to be kind of, like, addressed or changed for... It's not a lot of, like, 
jokes about the state of abortion politics in America. It's like, here's what everybody else was wearing. We were all in leggings. Like it was, you know, it's just very, very specific and small details that are again in the past. But, you know, there are like one or two jokes that like, I think fall a little bit more on like, I think what I consider the older way we talked about abortion rather than the more like comprehensive, like empathetic version of it that I I think I've evolved closer to today. And so like those jokes, like I could hear like as soon as the leak came out, like the next, I was like, oh, those jokes feel terrible now and there's Mm. nothing wrong with it but it was like I had like a joke when I would open the show because it's like hard to start a show like this you're just like hi you're all you know why you're here um but I had this (laughs) joke that like and it is a thing that my mom did where I like I'm I say like no my parents are super supportive um my mom texted me kill it tonight and it's like I already did um which is like it's a really fun joke but like I don't think that an abortion is killing anything right 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 And that is the kind of language that people who oppose abortion love to point to when people who support abortion are like, it's like, it's killing babies. And it's like, it's absolutely not. And I don't think it is. So then I was like, oh, why would I have a joke that like, pulls?" so like there was, there was that line. And then there's like one other tiny line that I just changed some language to like, Mm -hmm. just make it a little bit more, feel like more organic to like the show I was doing and not like from a time before we lost Roe. But like, aside from that, like, if anything, I've kind of just made sure as I move, like as things change, like that it is sensitive to what is, you know, I don't think that we've had 10-year-olds, like some of the really horrific things in post-Dobbs America. Right. You know, I just make sure like as I move forward that like none of it nods to that even Mm because that's not what I'm trying to talk about in the show. But like overall, like, I mean, maybe like 1% of the show has changed since we lost abortion rights, which is... Such a crazy sentence to say out loud in 2023. I mean, it's an evergreen situation, right? It's yeah. an evergreen topic. That's why you were talking about the people, the boomers relating to it or having yeah. a part of the show that's for them. I, I haven't seen the show, so I'm not sure yeah. exactly what that means. But I think like it, it is uh, good to be very more like way more open about it. But also it sucks that it's so evergreen that like right. a, a older an older person would be like, oh yeah, I have my own story. Yeah. And like, I mean, I don't think, I think at this point it's been written about so much. It sounds terrible to say, but like it's been written about so much that I don't feel like weird spoil. The the, like twist and end of the show is not anything about my own abortion, but it is about my mom revealing to me that she had one pre-Roe. And so, which is a, which is something that like so many women of her demographic have messaged me or like talked to me after the show and been like, I had one of the, like it was, I mean, we feel like, you know, I tell the story and it sounds like this like horrific, oh my God, how could anyone do that? What a what a crazy experience. And I think it was like an incredibly common experience, but no one from that generation talks about it because one, it was traumatic, I think, for most of them. And two, it was illegal. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there is like a real, and, and I think that that has really, you know, to to do the show that ends on that story that I wrote before we, lo- before they even, put Dobbs on the docket. I had been writing the show for a couple of years to now like be in a world where like the America my mom knew is more, that's more like we're closer to that than we are to where we were two years ago. And that's such a scary, weird thing to deal with. And my mom only told me her experience because in 2019, there were a couple of like laws in like Missouri and Louisiana trying to limit to like six weeks or, or total bans. And she was like, I don't think people understand what, the world looks like when we don't have these protections. And then to have like that be the closer of the show and then to lo- to be 
in the world that she was warning me about has been such a really terrifying reality to grapple with. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so curious. Like, what what was it like for you to learn that about your mom? It was shocking, but not my and I say it in the show, like my mom has been an abortion rights activist for as long as I can remember. And like Mm. I she marched on Washington in 92. I have that shirt. She gave it to me. I wear it when I do like press stuff. It's like really wonderful. And I grew up in a house that was like, we are a pro-choice family. We support abortion rights. It is not our business. People can do what they want with their bodies. And that has always been kind of the politics of the house I grew up in with my parents. So it wasn't this like, I always suspected like, I don't know, you're pretty vocal about this with me or <laughs> stuff. Like, not that you have to have experienced something to be an advocate for it by any means, but like, it just felt like when it's your mom, you're like, I feel like I'm getting something here. So I wasn't like wildly, sh- I was shocked by the story she told me. I didn't realize it would have been that long ago and before Roe, which she would hate me acknowledging because it's like, I'm not that old. And it's like, you are. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, it has like, her telling me that. And then it was a while before we really ever addressed it again, because I didn't tell her about my abortion until I started working on the show and I needed to use her story. And so I needed to, and well, like she knew about mine and then I needed to ask her, like, can I talk about you on stage? Which is just a very, it's intense. Like she barely wanted to tell me. And like, now I'm asking her if I could tell roomfuls of strangers every night and possibly television. Like, I mean, it was a huge ask. And she like, she thought about it and she very generously was like, eventually was like, okay, you can talk about it on stage. And I was like, what was the hesitation? She was like, there's just some people I need to tell. And I think she like immediately told some like fam, like family that did, I think no one knew except for my dad probably. Mm-hmm. Cause I assumed that they had talked about that. And then she was like, you're good to go. And like, it has really been a cool bonding thing between me and my mom that like, we talk, we'd always talk very freely politically about it, but like to both feel comfortable enough with like why we're talking about it. So per- like it has been just this thing that has connected us in a way that like I would have never imagined that either of us having an abortion would have ever done. And certainly mm-hmm. not me like broadcasting it to everybody I've ever <laughs> met. Um, but it's been like very cool. And it only like, if anything, I just feel so sad for her to like, and for her whole generation that watches this world completely changed in a way that felt like for the better. And then like we're cycling back around to this absolutely draconian nightmare reproductively. It's just, I don't, I I can't imagine that. Like I can only know the nightmare that I'm living. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so interesting that there is something about abortion where it's like, I can publicly be an abortion activist, but I still haven't shared that I had an abortion with my closest family. Yeah. Like that says something about this thing and how we deal with it. It's there's so much stigma. Even today where I think like we're in a better place than ever in terms of like people sharing whatever their story is or like not being ashamed to be like, oh, I had one. I had two. Like what? You know, and it still feels like a huge personal revel because I mean, it is Mm -hmm. it's personal. It's your body. Like, you know, you don't you don't owe anybody that story. But at the same time, like it is still, no matter how much we talk about abortion and we talk about it all the time, it is still the kind of thing that people really don't want to share. And you shouldn't have to, but I wish people could and not feel scared. Yeah, it's this stigma attached to it and similar to STD stigma or anything that's like tied to sex in any Mm -hmm. way. Whereas like you'd be like, I got a tooth pulled. You know what I mean? It should just be like that. Yeah, it should be no different. It's not like anything really like, 
I've had worse gynecological appointments than my abortion. Like, <laughs> like that had nothing to do with an abortion. <laughs> oh my god! It was in the show for a minute, but I, I just like I had to trim the show so much that I lost it. But the same month, I had two root canals, and oh. I say that they were way worse in ever, like physically, emotionally, <laughs> financially. Like they were so much harder than having oh an abortion. Oh my god. <gasps> Still, I still have trauma around those root canals and I have like fully never thought about my abortion again except to write jokes about it. Yeah. I'd love to hear like your experience of finding out that you were pregnant and how quickly you realized you wanted an abortion and like what that that journey was. I mean, it's like uneventful and like purposefully so in my show it is. Like, I mean, there there is a little bit more like I talk about it in the show and and it spins me off into like a whole thing about like motherhood. And I have known for a long time that I probably didn't want kids and like finding out I was pregnant. And it was from like a very casual person in my life that in no way, even if I was like interested in having a baby, like this probably wouldn't be it. More than, oh no, now I have to have an abortion. I was like, wow, I really don't want kids. Like I don't Mm. like it, like just like it like felt so like it solidified inside me so fast. Like, oh, nothing about this. And it has nothing to do with the circumstances. Like, I, this is the wrong thing for me personally. Mm. And so there wasn't any of the like intense in the way that we portray that decision for a lot of people as like, you know, you're mulling it over, you're going back and forth. It's all the what ifs, like not a single one of those. Like I was kind the only thing I really felt was like, I'm now going to be a person who has had an abortion. Mm-hmm. And like that really stuck with me as like an identity. And I think that speaks to like the bizarre shame we have. where like, that's a type of person as if like having a, a crown is a type of mm-hmm. person. It's not. It's like totally just something that you do and then is over. Yeah. Um, if anything, a crown sticks with you longer and it's like more of who you are because <laughs> um, it's permanently placed in your jaw. But so yeah, for me, it wasn't like, I found out, I like suspected, I, I was like, I feel like ass. Um, and so mm. I finally took it and I was like, and I have had sex. So I took a pregnancy test and was like, ah, shit. And then it was more like, God, I feel like this is going to be hard to schedule. I was like travel. I was on the road doing stand up at the time. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, I got to get out of Missouri. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> and so then, you know, I, and then I, I scheduled it and like, and it, it all was like very frictionless for me, which is of course the important part of the show to remember, like it was easy for me and it is not for most people. And that's what's so devastating about the state of abortion rights in this country right now. But for me, it was so interesting, like what it did to my concept of like, oh, I guess I never want to do this. Like, I never want to be a mother. And it Mm -hmm. really like, maybe not in that moment, but like around that time, I suddenly was like, this isn't a probably, this is a definitely, like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be a parent. Mm -hmm. So that was an interesting, and and then that's something I really dive into in the show too, just to, you know, how what a strange position you're in when you're specifically a woman who doesn't want to have children in our culture Mm -hmm. and like kind of what our culture relegates you to. Which is not much. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that because I think there's so many people kind of grappling with this question. And by so many, it's me. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I can't tell if it's like because the algorithm knows me so well, but like TikTok is constantly serving me like videos of like women who are 25 and they're like, um, if you're 35 and never had a kid, can you stitch this and tell me if it was a good idea or a bad idea? Like it's like clearly, uh, you know, and I think like one, for me personally, the environment and the world, like, I just don't know how anyone is, like, getting over that hump to be like, no, we'll, we'll set up a good thing for our kids. Like, I'm just like, how? You can't prove it. We're all going to die. Mm-hmm. Well, I also think it's it's not just about, like, oh, I don't know what to do in the future. It's all, it's like, because that, to me, sometimes makes it sound like, oh, if conditions were better, which for some people, yes. yeah, definitely. 
but it's also lifestyle. Like we just did an episode yeah. of, of my other show, Bad With Money, where we talked about child-free wealth. And it's basically just like either you're child-free, which you've chosen, or you're childless, which is like you you tried and you couldn't have a baby. So now yes. what's the future look like? It's like basically just like, oh, your lifestyle is such that you don't want to have to answer to a kid. You're not interested right. in like, you know, teaching a little thing about life. And, you know, you just sort of want the like, it's just it's not like a moral judgment. It's like a lifestyle. Yeah. It's like just should be just like it should just be like, oh, this is the lifestyle I've chosen. Like I've chosen to live in L.A. Right. It is like this thing that and in the show, I kind of talk about the pr that pressure existing from like it's there's always this assumption of like, but you're going to eventually have a kid. Like if you're a woman, like people do even like, you know, I hear married people talk about they're like, we got married and like day two, everybody's like, when are you having a baby? It's like, when yep. did we say we were having a baby? And like, you know, I think there's this assumption that if you choose to be child free, that you are selfish Mm -hmm. that you don't have your life together or that like you're cold you do something it's like oh but you do something weird in like a weird corner of society like you you only work at midnight or something and it's like no I mean like I I mean I work at night a lot but like I really like the life I have and mm -hmm. I have a very rich life of lots of other specifically women who don't want children but also just like a lot of friends, a lot of cool work colleagues. I'm very close with my family in a way that I'm like, I don't want to change this. Like, my parents and I have a good thing going. I want to spend, you know, they're boomers. Like, we're wrapping it up soon. Like, I want to, like, enjoy the time I'm spending with them and not do what I've seen some people do and have it become a wedge issue with your parents or a thing that prevents you from having... I'm an only child. We have like, I have like no other family. I'm like, this mm -hmm. is it. Like I, which like that should be an, most people would be like, isn't that an advertisement for making a little family of your own? Like, no, actually it's not. I like don't <laughs> want that. I also had four spine surgeries. Like, like I just got a cat. It's amazing. I love my cat so much. He's everything. I love you, Riz. <laughs> He's so cute. I can't handle it. And I'd wanted a cat for years and I put it off because I was like, I don't know, it's just so much bending over to like clean and to feed. Like, I don't know if my body can handle that. And it's like, well, if my body couldn't handle a cat, what was I like? I'm never going to run after a toddler and pick it up. I'm never going to have to like yeah. haul laundry. Like, it's just not not that that's like that's preventing me from a thing I want. But it's right. just like another there's so many factors that contribute to it. And I think that there is this like people just don't know how to categorize you because mm -hmm. they're like, well, what of the, what of, what of the different things are you that prevents you from being a mother? And it's like, nothing's preventing me. I'm choosing not to. And it like, it's not one thing, but in our culture for women, like we really tend to like have these like archetypes of women who aren't mothers and like what they must be like and what they do and don't contribute. And I saw this amazing TikTok and I'm always talking about it and I wish I could find it, but I'm like, oh, you can't find something on TikTok and have to like find <laughs> It has to like find you again six months from now with like a weird filter on it. And you're like, I guess I watched this once. But it's this woman who's child free. And she's like, the world needs people who don't have children to provide other like emotional and physical support to children because parents are overwhelmed. It's an overwhelming experience. Like no part of me looks at parenting as like too easy. It looks boring. Like I, it looks hard as shit. Like I don't yeah. want to do it. And, like, I think a lot of people who have kids are overextended, are overexhausted. Like, I remember the the people I knew when I was a kid who were adults who didn't have kids, like, provided something else for me that my parents and other parents didn't. And it's like, what it, we need those people. And, like, what a cool person to get to be in the lives of other... Like, I have a lot of friends with kids. I'm like, I'm going to be in their lives. And like, I love kids. Being Me too. Like, 
people assume if you say you don't want kids that you must hate kids. I'm like, no, I love kids. I, I don't want kids. one in my house, but like, yeah. I, I like, I don't want to raise one, but I love being around them and being part of their lives. Mm-hmm. And it's like this important part of society that we ignore. But if everybody had kids, no one could help each other. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like the takes a village uh, quote, which always feels strange. But <laughs> but it do- but it does. I think that there's like a lot that we can provide for the development of children that isn't just birthing and raising and financially supporting them. It's kind of interesting that this event in your life that is often seen as being so horrible actually like provided you with a huge moment of clarity. Yeah. And like, I mean, it's been like the career changer of my life. So it's always like, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, the best thing I ever did my, for my career was have an abortion, um, <laughs> which is probably true in both the way that I mean it and the way that um, it's usually talked about. Right. But but it was like it was this like really interest. I was like, oh, like I'm on the other side of like an interesting thought moment for myself being like, oh, I'm learning something. You don't learn a ton about yourself. At, like sometimes it takes a thing to teach mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. that that's a very vague. Sometimes it's just a thing to teach you a thing about you. Um, <laughs> but like sometimes it does take like a life event that you're like totally not expecting to kind of put into perspective something that you didn't even know was in your brain, which I think is the case. Right. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. And we're back. You spoke a little about this at the top, but like what has been people's reactions? Like what have been like some like maybe meaningful stories that have been shared with you? Totally. A lot like a lot of women have messaged me and been like, I had very similar abortion experience. And like, I do talk a little bit in the show. Like, I didn't feel bad after my abortion. Like, there was no grief, no sorrow, no guilt. Like, I didn't feel any of that stuff. But I did feel bad about not feeling bad. Like, Mm. we teach people that, like, abortion is this necessary evil that, like, some women have to do. That, like, you're supposed to feel bad that you did it, even if it was, like, a choice that you made and the right choice for you. And so, like, that kind of narrative in our culture made me feel really bad when I was done and I was like, oh, thank God. Good thing we did that. That was great. Um, I'm really happy that I get to now go on this trip to Miami for work and not have to be pregnant and to do this and to move on with like, what a relief that it was so simple. And I just went to the clinic and was gone by 2 p.m. Like, so I felt bad about that. And I talk about that on stage a bit in the show. And so many women have been like, I had the same experience and the same feelings of like, like, I felt shame about not feeling shame is something Mm -hmm. that, like, a lot of people have said. And it feels, like, nice to be able to, like, point to that thing when I think no one talks about it. And no one wants to talk about it because it makes you sound bad, Mm quote-unquote, or, like, you don't care or that you hate kids. Like, and it's like, no, like, why did I have to feel bad? I didn't feel bad about my root canal. I mean, I felt terrible about my root canal, but for different (laughs) reasons. I'm like, why do I drink so much soda? Um, But, like, it, it, it was, like, nice to be like, oh, not only am I not alone in that, but these other people feel less alone. Because it feels like, God, even if you are going to talk about your abortion, you certainly can't be like, best thing I ever did. You know, right. it, you don't get to really, like, be happy for yourself for having personal agency and the ability to access health care and, and being able to move on with your life and not feel... Because t- there are people who feel horrible about their right. abortions. And, like, that's also a very real reaction that, like, should get attention as well. Like, it doesn't mean that that's wrong either. It's just like, there's a bunch of different ways to have and feel about your abortion. And like, this one just doesn't really get shown very much. So that was like a wonderful kind of like feedback 
loop to be in with like so many different, like mostly like women who would like look like me and are my age. And like, it's, you know, the audiences were very white and that is always something that I'm like, God damn it. Um, (laughs) But I get it also. And then also a lot of women in my parent in my parents' generation who mostly approached me after I did the show at synagogues because um, the audience was almost exclusively people in their 70s. You did the show at synagogues? I've done it at like three or four different like JCCs or synagogues. I love that. <laughs> oh my God, best. my dad will be in touch. <laughs> okay, great. He loves to book things for the synagogue. Oh my God, great. I'll go to any synagogue anytime. <laughs> it's in Florida, so don't make those promises. Okay, no, I'm not going to Florida. It's on one of my don't go states uh, for the show. Well, sorry, dad. No. Well, maybe at a synagogue, it would be different. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> he, he might schedule you over Zoom. <laughs> that we can do. That's, yeah, that's a good loophole. But so many, you know, people who heard my mom's story either like said that they had a very similar one or had a friend who had the same one. Or like I heard one story of these two women who had both gone through that and spent their entire lives not know they were good friends, not knowing that they had both had these like secret illegal abortions. And they were in their 60s before they spoke about it. And it was like, God, you could have had somebody to talk to in this horrific moment in your personal history. But instead, you were in total silence and isolated for your entire life about it. And there I had another friend who saw it with her mom. And afterwards, her mom called her the next day and was like, I never told you, but I had an abortion super (gasps) similar to the one that Allison was talking about and like told her this whole story and like kind of did exactly what my mom did, which is like lay out the reality of something that I never expected she would say. And it was like, it brought them closer together. And it was Mm -hmm. just kind of this like, wow, she would have probably never told her if we hadn't come to the show and see. So it was just like, it's been a lot of like, people share whatever with me, but like, I love when it's people end up sharing with other people in their lives. Because like, it's not, you know, you don't need to tell me it's not my business what happens with you and your body. But like, it's so nice when it like opens up conversation for people. And like, so many people are like, oh my God, my friends and I all just saw the show and we've been sitting at a bar for four hours talking about everything. And I'm like, that's what I want. That's like, to me, like why you get up on stage and like, talk about yourself. I love that. (laughs) So other people will talk about themselves. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's been really like prepared for again, like the hate or like people being like, this didn't represent my or or, like whatever. And it's been like nothing but at least what comes to me, love and and kind of excitement and and just people being like grateful for a conversation starter more Mm -hmm. than anything else, which I think is like my purpose of the show is like, just go talk about this stuff more because like we don't talk about Mm -hmm. so many things. And this is a big one. And I think we could talk about this more. Well, the fact that it's getting criminalized again, it's going to prevent that. Which is oh, God. It's horrible. so horrific. I know. Just as we're getting the conversation going, it's like all these people won't be able to share with their friends and right. family because they're technically committing a crime. Yeah. That's why those of us who, who come from a place who can talk about it should talk about it. Yeah. But totally. I've never had an abortion. I've only taken Plan B. Yeah. Ooh, plan B. Not a fan. I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm, I like what it does, but I, I know it. Makes I actually you feel have like a stockpile shit. if anyone ever needs because That's when Trump good. got elected. I think, or during maybe the 2020 when it, whatever it was, I, some, there was some moment where some it was moment like, with Trump and I, and I bought so much plan B. So if anyone yes. listening ever needs any, I've got just a drawer full. Amazing. Does it expire? No, I, it was more recent. I would have to look, but I don't think it was it, probably last summer when, yeah, before Dobbs or like when the leak, a lot of people between the leak and the actual decision was like, we're like just stockpiling like every form oh, of yeah. like, 
emergency contraception and birth control. It has a shelf life of four years. So Okay, that's great. Yeah. One yeah. presidential term. Exactly. <laughs> ah! <laughs> and so having done this show, do you now feel like an obligation to like be involved in like activism around abortion? Or is it more like this is my form of activism was that I made the show? Yeah, I had to like at some point put up boundaries because I did feel like one, you know, there was a moment like after the leak because I was doing the show like I mean, I've been doing the show like little places around and then got the Cherry Lane run. And it was like a week and a half into a six week run at Cherry Lane that the leak happened. And we were trying to get so much press and couldn't get anybody to pay attention to it. And then the leak happened and like every single magazine, website, television show is like knocking on my door being like, can we talk to you? And it's like, I, you didn't want to talk to me last week. I don't know why you <laughs> want to talk to me this week. But it has been hard because like I do feel like places want me to come do the show for them or people want to interview me or talk to me or like, and it's like, I've been doing stand-up for a really long time and this is one thing I've done. It is not everything I talk about. And like, it is kind of like, I am like, all right, we have to like dismount the like abortion phase of my career soon because I'm ready to talk about something else publicly. Mm -hmm. Not that I don't love being here, obviously. But like, there was a point where I was like doing so much that I was like, the show is already like very exhausting physically to do when I was like doing the run because like it's seven shows a week and the show is 75 minutes long and you're mm -hmm. on your feet for an hour and you're, you're holding space emotionally and you're performing like, and I was like, okay, I understand that like I'm making money off of this. I donate a ton. We've donated and raised a lot of money. Like, it also is my job. And like I had, because I was like, should I be giving away all my money? And I was like, no, no, this is what you do for a living. Other people are having <laughs> jobs like that are making them money. You have to make money from this. And so I kind of got to a point where I had to be like, okay, the show is a huge piece of kind of the mosaic of abortion narratives. And that's a really important part of activism. And here and there where I can fit on other things, I will do it. But I don't have to say yes to everything just because I've been doing this show, which for a minute I was saying yes to everything. And then I was like, there's no room for me now um, yeah. to live my life. <laughs> and it's your story and you can make money off of it. You don't have to just yes. like like this is the thing where like it's like a guy will do a show about something and it's like he just gets to make money. But like if like a marginalized person of any regard does a show about something, it's like, well, and then are you donating the profits? And it's like, fuck off. The profits are donated to me, a person who needs money. Yes, I'm part of the group I'm talking about. Exactly. And thus, I think that that's enough for me. That's a donation into my bank account for the job that I do. Um, exactly. Yeah, it is like hard that people are like, well, what like, and I'm just like, oh, I'm not like actually that serious of a person. Like, I don't like, not like, Everything else I talk about on stage when I'm doing stand-up that isn't this show is, like, complaining about Trader Joe's having too many chips. Like, it's not... I'm not a particularly, like, politically driven writer on stage. And I mm. think then people see me and they're like, oh, this is just kind of, like, goofy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I find it really bizarre that you would ever be upset with there being too many chips. But to, I just, each, to each their own. Um. <laughs> I just think we can't walk into a Trader Joe's with a recipe. And so to me, it's not a grocery store. If I can't walk in there with a real recipe and get everything I need, you're not a grocery store. You're a, you're a snack store. No. Agree to disagree. I don't know. <laughs> um. <laughs> Gelson's girly. Oh, my gosh. This has been amazing. Would you now oh. like to, to show your goofy side and play a game show? Let's get goofy. <laughs> so this game is called Hypotheticals. You and Gabe are going to be my contestants. I'm going to give okay. you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have, and then you tell me what you would do in that situation. My friend and I do this all day, every day with each other, so I am right? more than prepared. <laughs> it's so fun. It's I, I live in the hypothetical. So our first game is America's favorite game show, 
Would you stay with this cheater? Ooh. You find out that your partner of 15 years has been secretly working on making human clones for the government and accidentally fell in love with one of the clones made from Marilyn Monroe's stored DNA. They only slept with the Marilyn clone once, though, and are committed to making your marriage work now that that is out of their system. Would you stay with this cheater? Where is the Marilyn clone now? Like, where does she live? Um, on, like, this huge scientific compound with the other clones. Okay, but that's not where my house is. No, but that's where your partner works. He works. So he's going to work every day and she's there. She's a colleague. Yeah. Okay. See, because, like, if it was, like, and then she is off and lives, like, in some weird place. Like, them still being in contact and in the same place is what really upsets, you know. Mm -hmm. A one-time, I have, I don't know, I haven't had, like, a ton of relationships that have, like, lasted long enough for anybody to care about monogamy. But, like, if (laughs) it's like, oh, we haven't even gotten to that point. So let's just move (laughs) on. Um, that like a one time I'm like, I, you know, it's Marilyn. It's once like I, I I could get by that. But if he's seeing her every day at work, I feel like once is not necessarily a guarantee. Now, mm. is she dressed and styled and talking like Marilyn Monroe from the movies? No, she's just regular Norma Jean. Right. She's just mm. yeah, she's just has the same DNA as Norma Jean. Oh. But I should, Mm -hmm. I do want to clarify because I think this is really important when talking about clones is that it's a technology that makes him an adult from the beginning. It's not like. I was about to ask. Yeah, it's not like he was a baby and then he watched the baby grow up because then I think we absolutely have to leave. That's disgusting. Yeah. But this is what's exciting about the government technology is they can make adult clones. Yeah. She comes out at like 28. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, I don't want to be with anyone who works for the government. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think it's the the actual job is more upsetting than what happened because of the yeah, job. You're like a scientist for the government. Like, what are you doing? Fuck off, Oppenheimer. I don't like yeah. bullshit. And clones, like, I don't think we need to be fucking with clones. No, fuck that. I was waiting for this response. <laughs> you don't only work for the government. You work in eugenics. Goodbye. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> no. That is the right answer. Good job, yeah. everybody. Okay, okay wow, well, there we was got the right there. answer. Okay, good. Well, I thought that you guys would eventually come around to like, why? Yeah. Yeah. my partner working on clones for the government. I need to get through just the specifics of the, ex- you know, and then move on to kind of like globally what's wrong with this relationship. No, no, I don't approve of that job. I would not like that job. I barely, no. I pass on people on Hinge if they're like, I, I work in tech a lot of times. Yeah. I'm like, no. no, not for me. Pass. Our next game, are you a terrible parent? Probably. <laughs> Perfect. Your daughter, 14 loves the latest fashion trends and Mm -hmm. wants to start plucking off all her eyebrows because she saw it on TikTok and thought it looked cool. No. You are worried that this will damage her ability to grow eyebrows in the future and it will be something she grows to really regret. So you tell her that while she lives under your roof, she has to pay you $1 for every eyebrow hair she plucks. Obviously, she doesn't want to pay you a ton of money, so she keeps her eyebrows. Are you a terrible parent? No. I am I'll jump like I was young when the thin brow was in. I <laughs> yeah. did not go I mine were certainly thinner but not like too thin and I'm so happy that I didn't go too thin cuz I'm like I know for a fact that I have like friends who like just waxed themselves into facial hairlessness. And I remember one of my like one of my friends' moms when I was growing up had like overplucked like the time before 
that that was popular. Like, and they and she had to draw them on every day. And like, Mm -hmm. I remember being like, ah, I don't want that. Like, I think like you don't understand. It's like kind of when you cut your Barbie's hair and you're like, it'll grow back. And it's like, you don't know you like you learn in that moment that it won't. And I think that that's what is true of like, you want to dye your hair, you want to cut your hair, you want to Mm-hmm. pierce something like go do you but like I think that young young people don't understand how um fragile your eyebrows are the eyebrows <laughs> but meanwhile I've been plucking for goddamn years they keep coming back it hurts the exact same amount every freaking time I don't know I'm like that's Judaism baby yeah that is Judaism is that what Jewish it is? it's Jewish yeah I cut mine off with scissors when I was a kid oh I tried to trim it with scissors and then I yeah. had a line. A line, yeah. yeah I had yeah, a bunch I of lines because I cut them with scissors. Yes. Um, I had a friend who used a razor to try and like shape them, but then ended up just like shaving off half of the yeah. brow. Oh, God. <laughs> I, you know what I would say to her? I'd be like, let's do the thing where we dye them platinum blonde. Yes. That's Ooh. a really good I would medium. be like, that's fashion. That's interesting. That's fun. Express yourself. Let's dye them platinum blonde because that's kind of a Luke. You know, mm-hmm. let's do it. Yeah. But what about the charging? No, don't do that. No. Yeah, you can't charge your kids money when the money that they have is usually your money anyway. Like, that's just like the same $30 that my friends and I are Venmoing back and forth. I'm like, somebody just take ownership of this and have it. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But there is something really thrilling, though, about it. It's like, I'll get it this time. You get it next time. It's like, wow, free meal. And then it's immediately like, I paid so much for this meal. Yes. (laughs) It's a real roller coaster. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, our final scenario. Is this a date? You arrive at your favorite sandwich shop two minutes after closing. When you realize it's closed, you throw your arms up in despair and the owner sees you through the door. They come over and unlock it, saying that they will let you in for a special after closing sandwich if you don't tell anyone about this. Is this a date? I'm about to get murdered. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely the beginning of a horror movie. Yeah. I'm about to get murdered. So it's not really giving you romantic vibes. I'm getting murdered. My meat is what they put in the sandwiches. He does this all the time. It's a sandwich shop of people. If they'll let me take it to go. Ah, brilliant. I would stick around. I'd be like, I'm going to wait outside in my car with my doors locked. When the sandwich is ready, I'll come get it. I'll pay you twice as much as it costs because like I'll double pay for a sandwich if it means I can have a sandwich and not get killed. Mm-hmm. Brilliant, Allison. Brilliant. If you can't take it to go. God, I don't know. How hungry am I? Very. Are they hot to me? Yeah. To me, are they hot? Thank you for that clarification. And yes. And how successful okay. is this sandwich shop? Hugely, widely coveted, successful shop. Okay, it's a date and I would like to go inside. How close quite, <laughs> yeah. How close do I live to the sandwich shop? Is this my regular sandwich shop? It's five blocks away. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, but yeah, But there's yeah, normally yeah. a really long line, so you only go when you have time or oh, special sort of occasion. a Porto's situation? Yeah. I feel like if I'm that close to it, I've probably been there a lot. And if I were to get murdered, like, the neighborhood would know. And the that, like... The neighborhood would know! <laughs> I assume, like, they everybody knows me in the neighborhood. sticks. They're ready <laughs> They're to like, go not after Allison, him. Our sandwich loving friend. Right. I do think like if it's that if it's part of my community, they are they seemingly will be less likely to murder me, even though that ah. goes against all murder knowledge that we have. It is always someone in your community. <laughs> 
But it's like, if I live five blocks away and it's really good, even if there's long lines, I'm a good customer. They're not going to want to kill me because I'm right. putting money in that register. You're reliable. You tip well. Yes, exactly. You spread the word. I think, yeah, it's a date. Wow. If I'm attracted to them. You both really changed your tune on this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, you do get murdered. Oh, well, it was I'm worth sorry. it. I'm <laughs> sorry. She died doing what she loved, getting a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you and follow you and hopefully see future performances of the show? Oh, my God. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. You can follow me on Twitter for now and Instagram at Allison Leiby, A-L-I-S-O-N-L-E-I-B-Y. And I post kind of like when I'm touring the show, but also doing other stand-up and stuff. And then also the podcast that I host, Ruined. You can follow us at Ruined Podcast. And that's where uh, my good friend Hallie Kiefer tells me the plot of a different horror movie every single episode since I'm too scared to watch any of them and I have to know what happens. So Ruined Podcast, like go listen to that and come see me on the road or in New York or in LA soon at some point if I can just get my shit together and make a trip. (laughs) Thank you so much. Oh my God. Thank you guys. This was so much fun. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about people-pleasing. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topics! X, 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 baby. 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 <laughs> okay, what made you want to talk about people-pleasing? Well, because I feel like it's a misunderstood descriptor. And I feel like people have accused me of being a people pleaser. And I'm actually like not at all. (laughs) No, I would not. I wouldn't describe you of being a people pleaser. (laughs) Thank you. So like the definition of a people pleaser, because I also looked that up, is a people pleaser personality means a person feels a strong urge to please others, even at their own expense. They may feel that their wants and needs do not matter or alter their personality around others. People pleaser is not a medical diagnosis or personality trait that psychologists measure. Well, I was a people pleaser when I was really? in college. I would, and I think that's why I've gone so far past yeah. it now. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> I was to the point where I drove myself sick. I would say yes to everything and try to do, try to be everything for everyone. And to the point where I disappeared for two weeks and stayed in my apartment and my mom sent somebody to come find me. Oh my wow. God. You had people pleasing burnout. Yeah, I got, and I then was very depressed and was the first time I went seriously to like therapy. So I know what people pleasing is and I know what it means to do it and how to get burnt out on it. But from that, the only thing that brought me joy was General Hospital. And that's how I got back into General (laughs) Hospital. Oh, (laughs) and that's a beautiful story. Yes. (laughs) Well, so what would you say was the line where it crossed into people pleasing? And what, what is a warning that someone could take from your experience? I don't know. I can't remember exactly what the line was, but I knew that I just stopped saying no to everyone else when and it came as an expense to my own happiness. Mm-hmm. And I would be at everything all the time, every event. People were like, we want you to like be on this board or something. And I'd be like, OK, even though I had no time for it. And they'd be like, uh, come join this club. I had no time for it. Or 
hey, can we, can you help me with X, Y, and Z? And it, it was getting in the way of sleep. It was getting in the way of me doing things that I actually enjoy. And it was getting in a way of just like alone time too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like when the idea of someone being upset with you or not liking you is your worst case scenario. Yeah. Rather yeah. like over your own happiness, over like your own wants and desires and needs, like your big, like your the thing that is driving you the most is that other people like and approve of you. Not even that. It's that nobody have a negative thought about you at all or be mad yeah. at you in any way. And there's discomfort in, in interpersonal relationships. Sometimes you have to say no. Sometimes people will be upset at you and like, and then you move past it and you get over it. But like, that's part of friendship or that's part of interacting with people is disappointing them sometimes. Um, but there are some people for whom that discomfort is like unbearable. But also like, as far as people disliking me, I didn't care about that part because I was like, if more people are saying, <laughs> and this is so toxic. I was like, the more people that see me as like this leader and might be either scared of me <laughs> or like not like me because I'm just so much in everybody's face, then like <laughs> I was, and I'm not like that anymore. It's very toxic, but I was like, it just makes me feel better. It did make me feel better about myself until it didn't. Right. Huh. That you were like, I need to look like I'm yes. helping everyone and doing everything mm -hmm. and being everywhere. Yeah, I see yeah. that. And then what happens is you don't keep track of sleep, eating, mm -hmm. taking care of yourself, anything. And so you end up, I mean, my my body, I have like, Allison knows this from years of knowing me, is that I get physical symptoms of stress and distress. So if I'm stressed out or if I'm feeling like triggered by something or whatever, like my hair falls out. This was even before testosterone or like I get like rashy or like I get really sick. Like I, I have like physical symptoms that are like, hey, stop. Like you slow down. You're doing too many things. Yeah. The hair falling out was a real crazy one when I was <laughs> when I was a woman. Now it falls out. And I'm just like, well, say la vu. Here's where I'm headed. <laughs> <laughs> I think that sometimes people think I'm a people pleaser because I care so much about being polite yeah, and like kind or like, you know, that like I don't want. But like that's more just like me having like my own rules for like morality and like how I want to behave versus like caring about how other people then view me. If that makes Yeah, sense. but you like if you think that something's wrong or it's something that you don't agree with or it's something you don't want to do, you're very vocal about yep. it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, yep. So, like, that doesn't, it doesn't tra track yeah. me. Yeah. But I feel like people have accused me of it before. You're just you know? not, like, you're just, like, nice, you know? Yeah. You're just sort of, like, you're just sort of pleasant. But I wouldn't think that you're mm -hmm. a people pleaser because you do yeah. want what you want. And, like, mm -hmm. you do, like, you know, you do say no or you do you. You know what? It's interesting because you you and Drew are similar in this way. My my other best friend, we're like, you're not. Yes, men in the sense that, like, if if somebody does something to someone else, you're sort of not like, yeah, they're definitely in the wrong. You're like very much like, well, what was the what was like the situation and how can we like work it out? Like, you know, in a way that. And that is, I think, like the opposite of people pleasing. You're not just saying, 
no, you're completely right to every person. You're saying mm. like, well, what about this? What about this? You know, and Drew was saying, Drew was like, that's yeah. my toxic flaw as a friend is that I'll never just be like, yeah, fuck them. <laughs> I'll always kind of be like, well, <laughs> yeah. you know, let's think about da, da, da. And like, you're that way, too. And that's like, I think the opposite of people pleasing. Sometimes I'm like, just. But yeah, that's if them, they but... deserve it. That's how you really know that they deserve it. Yeah. Like, I'll say if I'm talking about someone who hurt me, I'll be like, and even Allison thinks it was bad. <laughs> that's true. That's so funny. Yeah, but it just seems like not worth it. Like, I don't know. Like, it, it's like at what expense? And the thing is, it's like you can never please everyone. Nope. Mm-hmm. I think that like realizing that is like so freeing. I mean, what an experiment did people pleasing with planning a wedding right. and like trying mm. to get everybody to be happy and having from the beginning me being like, look, everyone's not going to be happy. Who do I care about is happy and to what extent and to what extent is it against what I want and like the comp in the compromise of it well, all. What have you found is working for that? <laughs> that I it pick my battles. Yeah. That there's some stuff I care about more than other stuff. And uh, but the things I care about, I try to, to to hold my ground on and other things. It's like not worth the not worth the fight. Yeah. Or that's that's what you were saying makes sense. Like five people who are going to be pissed at you. It's like, OK, so is it three people are 100 percent pissed and two people aren't? Or is it <laughs> everyone's sort of 15 percent pissed at me? You know, like you're having to like do that. Like, again, like running everything by my own rules. It's like, do I think that they have grounds to be pissed at me? And if I think that the answer is no, then I don't really care. That's why I would never say you're a people pleaser. (laughs) Yeah, Agree. Yeah. Oh, well, I feel very seen. Thank you. Do you think that I am? (laughs) No, no. Wow, Melissa, that was so fast and with such a face. I think sometimes you go in phases where you are, but I think overall you're not. I think sometimes you think too much of what about what other people think about you. Yeah. But then I somehow never get it right. <laughs> but that's the whole thing. No one ever gets it yeah. right. Yeah. 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 It's true. I think I thought with work for a long time, like I have to make the type of stuff that every that that like would make my managers and agents happy. Or I have to make the kind of stuff that would make everybody else happy at the expense of what would make me happy. Mm-hmm. beyond just money. I'm not even talking about like needing to make money to live. I'm talking about like in general, what I thought. It's such a balance of like what you enjoy versus like what other people are telling you that you have to make. And saying mm-hmm. no, being like, I actually don't find that interesting and don't want to do it is terrifying. Yeah. Saying no is hard, but it's also like a muscle. Like everything That's else. The thing. That's like why we talked about flirting earlier. <laughs> you just got to get your reps in. On saying no, just start yeah. saying no to everyone. The barista's like, do you want milk? You kind of do want milk, but you're like, no. Wait, so Melissa, if if like you ran into someone you haven't seen since college, would they just like be shocked at what you're like now? No, because I, I made a pivot before I graduated. Like, oh, okay. And I, and I actually got up in one of the meetings like where I was the president of it. And I had like stepped down for a little bit and the um, vice president stepped up and I like told everybody what was going on. Yeah. Wow. So cool. I did a similar thing in college. I was supposed to be, they sort of uh, pick the editor in chief from the freshman, like really early on. And then they sort of groom you to become editor in chief when you're a senior. And I ended up working on a bunch of uh, investigative stories that I was really invested in. And I was in line to be editor in chief. And I, uh, it was like the thing I had wanted my whole college career 
And it became clear that I couldn't both be editor in chief and continue my personal, my investigative stories that I was doing because it would be too much work. And I turned down editor in chief, which nobody does. And it was like my dream the whole time, but I ended up being able to write more, which is, and then I realized like I was doing what I wanted, which is actually writing. I didn't, I want, it was a Mm. prestigious position, but I would just be editing other people. And so I ended up turning it down, which was like a big scandal at the time. Wow. Did they write about it in the newspaper? No, it would be a conflict of interest. (laughs) But the guy who did get editor-in-chief when I turned it down then like had some crazy resentment for me because he felt like he only got it because I said no. And it was like a a big interpersonal tension. Well, did you fuck him? That's neither here nor there, Melissa. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. Topic, I think. No. Well, what do we rate this episode? For you, with, you, with you, it's never that often. No, 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 no. What do we rate this episode? <laughs> you never, you're never the one to pivot to that. That's wow. a, t- that's that a harrowing a tale. Uh, what I, I rate it <laughs> 70 out of 60. Um, mind your business. I'll rate it 84 out of. 59 uh, subtle shoulder taps. Mm. I'll rate it 60 out of 40. Don't touch your eyebrows. Oh, that's great advice. (sighs) Keep them full. Keep them lush. Well, thank you so much to Allison Libby for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabe Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond-Montz. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, you can follow this podcast at Just Between Us Pod on TikTok and at JBU Podcast on Instagram. Also, I'm on Instagram now at Gabe S. Dunn. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Raskin. And on TikTok at, at Allison Raskin Baby. And I'm on TikTok as Dabby Gun. So branding's going really well over here. Yeah, good luck finding us. Forever. Yeah.